Brilliant. Thanks, Patrice. Um, happy Mother's Day again. What kind of weird, twisted comedy was that taking an hour away from us? We're all sleep deprived anyway. Happy Mother's Day. You're not having any sleep. <laughs> I don't know any mam who's not tired. <laughs> yeah, anybody? No. Uh, I grew up next door to my aunt, and uh, she had eight kids. And my childhood memory of her is that she was always grumpy. Now I get it. She didn't sleep for about 25 years. <laughs> I'm like, I would be an absolute briar <laughs> if I had eight kids and I hadn't slept. Um, but happy Mother's Day. Um, just something I really felt to share, and it was from talking to my neighbor. Um, I love my neighbor. She is such a beautiful uh, woman. She's so nice, so friendly. Um, and she's had such a hard year. And for her, she just reminded me that Mother's Day isn't always... Um, happy for everyone. Um, she has lost three babies in a year and a half. Um, they haven't gone to full term. And for her, she has a beautiful baby girl, uh, a beautiful girl who's um, six now. But it's still tinged with a bit of pain. And um, I just remind you, whoever you come across, it's not that we don't celebrate it. You know, Let's celebrate it, but let's keep in mind those who maybe um, are still desiring to have their child or who maybe that dream has passed for or people who are missing their mamas today. That Just a reminder that we have a God who is bigger than all our pains, who's bigger than all our disappointments. Um, and one of the Psalms, actually, that I, when I was reading in prep, and um, we're not actually doing this one today, but it really just spoke to me, and it says, um, let me get it first now. Now, where is it? It's Psalm 1, uh, 121, verses 1 to do, and it says, I lift my eyes up to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Whatever your struggle is today, um, God can help you. And, you know, a lot of the time we don't share, like, women, we like talking, right? It's not a generalization. We do, right? Let's just a fact. Let's not get into gender roles. But we do. We like, and we talk a lot, but we don't always share about maybe the really painful stuff. And so in Mother's Day, even if you have your child and you feel that maybe you're just missing the mark a little bit, where did your help come from? Your help comes from the Lord this morning and he's with you and he's not coming down in you. He's not telling you that you're failing. He's saying, look to me, I will be your help this morning. For every dream that's died, for every mistake that's made, our God is bigger. Amen. So just remember that this morning. And for your neighbors and your friends, extend kindness today because you don't know. I might not, Only that I had the conversation I would have known about my neighbor's secret pain. Um, so, you know, Hug people, welcome people, and pray for people today. Amen? Amen. Grant, so that's my psalm, bye. My gift to all the mothers is a short service. Uh, but uh, what we're doing today, I'm going to look at Psalm um, 131. And um, it's uh, the shortest psalm in the Bible. So it really is the gift this morning, a short sermon. There's three verses. We can't, we won't, don't worry, I'm not going to drag a three-hour lecture out of three verses. But... Um, we're just going to start. And the thing, um, so we're doing a series. And if you were here the last few weeks, so we, this is the third week. And Noel did Psalm 1. Uh, Rob did Psalm 2. And I just thought, let's skip to near the end, 131, and we're going to go there, okay? <laughs> so uh, we're going to, um, the thing about the Psalms is they are, 
poetry, they are song, they are magnificent, they are wonderful. Um, and if you open them up, you know, they're smack bang in the middle of the Bible. Um, so if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open up Psalm 131. Now I'm going to read, this is a shortest Psalm in the Bible, largest Bible in my house, okay, because Andy needed the tablet for, <laughs> for kids' church, so we share resources. So we're going to go back. Um, and this is the study Bible, um, the Amplify Bible. And kind of when I'm doing a sermon, the first thing I do is I open it up and I just read around the context of what I'm reading. Because this is a book that was written so much, such long ago. And sometimes we miss the context. And I never want to have an agenda. I want to say, God, teach me before I speak to anybody else. And at the start of it, Psalms, it's speaking. And in the, in the start of each book, it has an explanation. When was this written? Who wrote this? Who is it to? What is it about? What is the context? And um, it has a really good introduction to Psalm. So let's just get cracking with that before we go in to read that. Now, this is called a notebook. I'm used to just sliding and my notes appear. I'm like, which page am I on? What's going on? Um... Right, so this is the Amplified Version's introduction, right? And it talks about how in life, you know, this morning you were met at the door with the kids, Happy Mother's Day, sweets, and it goes, um, we're full of, hey, how are you, Grant, how are you, good, you, how are you, yeah, good, yeah. And it's all, it's fine, it's pleasantries, it's our culture, it's how we greet each other, but it's, um, it's kind of a cliche, it's only surface level. And the thing about Sam's is, it leaves the surface level and goes deep, the writers of all the Psalms um, are honest. They are true. It's not just saying, God is great all the time. Yes, he is. But sometimes I feel rubbish. I'm in the depths of despair. I'm low. I'm broken. I made a mistake. Everything in life's experiences are in the Psalm. And it says, often patterns of superficial communications spill over into our talks with God. In our Irish culture, hi, how are you? Yeah, grand, move on. And we're used to being like that. But when we talk to God, sometimes that carries over. We easily slide through well-worn lines recited for decades or quickly toss a cliche or two at God and call it a prayer. Praise God. Hallelujah. By the blood of Jesus. Da, da, da. All true. But do we really know what those mean? Certainly God hears and he understands our feeble attempts. But by limiting the depth of our communication, we become shallow in our relationships with him. But God knows us, and he wants us to have genuine communication. At the center of the Bible is the book of Psalms. This great collection of songs and prayers expresses the heart and soul of humanity. In them, we find a whole range of human experience expressed. This book holds no cliches. Instead, David and the other writers honestly poured out their true feelings, reflecting a dynamic, powerful, and life-changing friendship with God. The psalmists confessed their sins and their failures. They expressed their doubts and their fears. They asked God to help them in time of trouble and praise and worship him. As you read, and as we read today the book of Psalms, you'll hear believers crying out to God in the depths of despair, and you'll hear them singing to him in the heights of celebration. But whether the Psalm writers are despairing or rejoicing, you will always hear them sharing their honest and true feelings about how they feel about God. Because of the honesty expressed by these writers, men and women throughout history have again and again 
look to the Psalms to comfort them in their struggles and distress. And through the Psalms, they have risen from the depths of despair to the new heights of joy and praise as they discover the power of God's everlasting love and forgiveness. Let's make a decision this morning to go a little bit deeper than the cliches. There is nothing that you've done or said or failed at or feel overwhelmed at that God is not bigger. We heard today that God can take away seizures that can control your life. That's how amazing our God is. There's nothing that you can say or do today that God's shocked by or is too big for him to comfort and heal. Amen? So let's go ahead and read those three verses. Oh, my super value receipts. Don't worry. Thanks, Rajiv. So Psalm 131. My heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters. But I have calmed my spirit and quieted myself. Um, oh, hold one second. Give me two seconds, sorry. Now, we'll read this. Uh, Grant. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quietened myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. I'm going to do it again. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I, put, I have calmed and quietened myself. I am like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. So that, that psalm is part of a bigger book, and as Rob explained last week, the psalms are kind of divided into different sections, and say a couple of chapters are, are about, you know, when David was fighting a battle, and it's all, the analogies are all about war and stuff, and other times is when people are praising God through a festival. So this psalm is part of a larger collection of psalms, Psalm 120 to 134, and they're called the Songs of Ascent. And they're 15 psalms sung by the Hebrew and the Israelites when they were on a pilgrimage. So if you grew up Catholic, you know what a pilgrimage, people went to knock, people go to Fatima, you know, it's a big thing. You go, you travel in search of something special with God. And so in Deuteronomy 16, 16, the Israelites, which is the Old Testament, were told to go to Jerusalem or Mount Zion three times a year. So if you wanted to be part of the Hebrew, you had to do this. It was obedience to God. And the three festivals that you went to were the Festival of Unleveled Bread, the Festival of Weeks, and the Festival of the Tabernacle. And these three things. So, you know, we don't really have pilgrimages like this in, in our Christian tradition anymore. So imagine the Israelites were scattered around, and no matter where they were, their whole town picked up and traveled together. And on that route, you know, it wasn't like they could all, okay, we're getting the coaches leaving at 5.30. If everybody can be on it, that's grand. Uh, you know, all that. It wasn't like that. They walked. They had donkeys. It was a long road. Three times a year they took this. And what do you do? You know, they didn't all walk like this. 
How do you keep your spirits up? How do you keep the kids moving? How do you keep everything going? God knows us as humans. And they developed this tradition of music and song to lift their spirits. They were going to something exciting. They were going to an exciting place to celebrate what the Lord had done for them in those festivals. And so they're traveling along, and they'd sing these songs. And of those songs, uh, from, there were 15 of them, they'd rise up and sing them all. Now, the nearest thing I think nowadays would be, you know, like, uh, go, you know, we're traveling, you're going to a match, and everybody's like, ole, 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 ole. We win one match, and we think we're going to win the World Cup. But, um, you know, you know that feeling when you're in a crowd, and you join with other people, and you're just all, yeah, we're doing this. So those sounds were designed to remind people. You know, when you're in a crowd, you're like, we can do this. Clearly, Ireland can't. But, you know, we're right behind them. <laughs> um, you know, we're doing this they, to remind them what they were doing, to remind them how, and they took their inspiration from what was around them. So that verse that I read earlier today, one through one, you know, I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? They would have been walking through a valley looking at these huge mountains going, oh, and the, the writer of the Psalms took their information, taking things around to explain to people. We're tired on this journey. Where do we look to? We look to our God in heaven. So the psalmist would have taken his inspiration from what was around him on the road. And that's what these verses are about. So although Psalm 131 is very like a declaration of faith, saying I'm not proud, my eyes are not haughty, I don't concern myself with all these things. You know if you're traveling in a crowd, there's always people moaning. And there's always people discussing or fighting stuff, it, you know. I know it's church and we all love each other and this church isn't like this, but let's say other Christians are like this. So you can imagine the Israelites and they're like moaning, but the, and the, the psalmist is trying to remind us, you know, don't concern yourself with that stuff. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to the temple. We're heading somewhere brilliant. We're going to remember God. We are honoring him and we're in this together. Don't get caught up in that stuff. Let's focus our eyes. Then he goes, you know, I've calmed my spirit. I've quieted myself. I'm not going to get anxious. I'll go on a bit now. Part of what they were doing when they were traveling, they were obeying God's word that he told them around the time in Deuteronomy after Moses. And the verse said, you know, it says, that they had to go to Jerusalem for those three feasts. But verse 17 after that in Deuteronomy 16, 17, if you want to look it up, it says, each of you must bring a gift, a proportion um, to the Lord, your God. He has blessed you. They would have been traveling with a lot of stuff. Okay? And that might bring context to that bit. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. Your neighbor, the neighbor beside you, may have been bringing a cow, right? You may only have two chickens, okay? By said two chickens. <laughs> but that verse, my heart is not proud, Lord, my eyes are not haughty. If you're the Israelite with a large selection of wealth, and you're coming and you've got all your riches around you. And maybe you have a ton of kids. Because in Israelites' time, as many children you had was like your wealth. And maybe your neighbor's looking there and they're dragging their like stringed chicken and their like delinquent child around. And you're looking at them going, oh, look at me. I've got my chick. I've got my cow and my kids. You know, that's their context. But we're not in that context. 
But are you looking at people around you today thinking, I like their grand, but I'm just a little bit better. You know? Oh, yeah, we're all worshiping God, but you know, like, I'm that little bit stronger in the Lord than that person. Or I just like, oh, God loved them. I have my stuff together. God loved them. I'll pray for them. I'll pray for them because I'm a good Christian. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. Haughty means looking down on people, you know. Haughty. Are you looking down on someone today? My heart is not proud. In the Israelite tradition and Hebrew context, the heart is not the heart, as we understand it. It's actually the mind, the thoughts. Now, we're Irish, okay? And we don't go, I'm deadly at something. But that doesn't mean we don't think like that. You can think in your head. You'll never say it out, because you're Irish. You'll be like, get over yourself. That Kildare saying, would you get down off yourself? You know what I mean? You're not going to say it out. But in your head, you might think that you're better than someone. We'll never speak it out, and you're the only person who knows. But God knows. And he's reminding us today not to be proud and not to look down on anybody because it's only by the grace of God we're all here. And the only reason I'm further along the road or have any success or any healing in my life, it's nothing I did, it's all that he did. So it's reminding us today that we pray, Lord, help my heart not to be proud. Keep my eyes from being haughty. Let's change it to a prayer today. Amen. So it says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, don't get me wrong. For a while in, in, in the, the history of the church, there was this real discouragement of, you know, don't get above yourself. No, don't you worry yourself with studying the word. Just trust the ministers or the priests or they'll explain everything to you. Um, or in, you don't, 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 be, don't get too like, carried away with yourself. You know, for ages, it was, education was always like elitism. You know, either the rich and wealthy men could do it, and then maybe the rich and wealthy women, and then it came down, okay, well, then men can do it. Or then, you know, if you have the intellectual ability to study, and it's in your heart, and it's from the Lord, then you get the degree. You get the master, the doctorate, whatever you can get, you get it. It's not saying, don't concern yourself with any of these things. Just be a lowly believer in God and trust God. It's not saying that. It's saying about getting distracted by circular conversations, getting distracted by things that, you know, there's a lot of amazing, how do I explain this? There's a lot of amazing teachings and things that we can get distracted by in the Bible. You could tell me every historical context in the Old Testament. You can tell me about all the imagery and revelations and everything, and they are all good things. But if that becomes more in your mind than the love of Christ and sharing God's salvation with people, well, then we need to backtrack. There are questions that you will never get the answer to on this earth. God is not keeping things from us. But he is God. And if we could understand everything, then we'd be God and we're not. So let's just trust God. 
let's keep on coming back that we don't get distracted. Like the Hebrews, the Hebrews knew God's word. They divided it up into hundreds and hundreds of minute laws. They understood it so much. They could debate and teach every person in this room under the table. But in all that, they'd lost their true love. They lost what it was all about. And that means as well for you, if you're not an intellectual and you can't grasp everything, that's okay. God, you still have and understand the truth of it, that God loves you, that he sent his son to die for all your mistakes, that you are made right and whole, and you don't have to stand beside someone thinking you're lower. You can't get these concepts. The gospel is for everybody and for every heart, every nation, every man, every gender, everything. It's for everyone. And you're not any less because you don't have a degree or a doctorate or a master's. Do you hear me? You are not any less. You are made whole by Christ. Amen? Amen. So do not concern. I don't concern myself with great matters or things that are too wonderful for me. Verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted myself. Last week I felt the Lord, and I, I gave a word if you were here, and it was about how the presence of the Lord is like a calming balm. And do you know anything about a balm? You know, it's, um, it's healing, it's soothing. It's, uh, do you ever, you know, if you put a healing balm on something, if it's raw and red, it cools it down. Imagine you've got a burn and you put a cooling gel on it. It calms it down. How many of us maybe before we knew the Lord or it still comes back sometimes have like something raging inside us. Something that's burning and it's not good. And we need God to help us with it. For, do you know there's a huge problem in our society nowadays with anxiety. And you know most people I've talked to here we've all suffered with at one time or another. And it's the complete, anxiety is the complete opposite to calm and quiet and control. It feels like you're losing control. Something inside you is like taking over and you, you just, it's just taking over everything. But if you have that, there's no judgment. You're not failing as a believer. But let's turn our eyes to God and remember he can calm us. He can quieten us. Everything that we need, he can hold us when we're in those moments of terror. And he can speak into us. The peace that transcends all understanding, it comes from Christ. So hear that today. If you are not quiet and calm, that's okay. But there is a God in heaven. There is a Savior who can help you be healed. He doesn't want you to stay in that. That's not his plan for you. Sometimes we'll be like, well, this is just something that I have. Yes. But there, there is hope. And that's not like you come up for prayer and we go, bam, sorted. But let's step it out together. Let's have hope that I have a God who can heal me, that can quieten the storms within me. The next bit that we're going to read, and I'm going to read it and then we're going to explain it a bit. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Now, a weaned child is a child that, hasn't, that is no longer breastfed. And so 
I think maybe in our society today, we don't really understand in the biblical context how important being breastfed was. So basically, in the Old Testament, back in those times, um, there was no plan B if you had a baby, okay? There was no formula. There was no options. If you had a child and uh, you couldn't, um, they weren't taking the breast milk from the mother or something happened, the sad truth of the matter was they would have died. And there was huge infant mortality. People had loads of children because they would, a couple of their children would die. It was just fact. If you want to see what maybe the time, the Old Testament, the time Jesus lived was like, then look at maybe the third world. They don't have formula. They don't have um, bottled milk for babies. If something happens to a child where they can't, if the mother doesn't have milk, if, thing, if hormones are coming in, if, if they don't take the milk, if there's something wrong, Unfortunately, the baby dies. And we live in a world, in, in, in our country, where we're so blessed and we don't even realize it, that we have those options, that our children will live. That's, it's not, it seems such a simple thing, you know, we can just give them a bottle. But in the times they're talking about, if you didn't get breast milk, you died. And this verse, a weaned child is a child that's no longer breastfed. So in Bible times, children would have been fed by their mothers until they were about three which is like very unusual nowadays. So that's a toddler. So they're saying, like a weaned child um, with its mother, like a weaned child, I'm content. In the Old Testament, there's a story, and Abraham throws a party. There's a huge feast when Isaac, his beloved promised child, um, is weaned. Why did he throw a feast? Because Abraham's saying, he survived. My son is alive. He has made it through the time where most babies die, and he's here, and he's honoring God, and he's like, thank you, God, your promises are true. My child hasn't died. Which seems crazy in our context, but for most of them, babies were dying all the time. It was just part of life. But he's like, my God has come through for me. That's how important in Jewish culture, when a child was weaned, it's like, yes. So they needed their mothers for life. It wasn't for cuddles. It wasn't for, you know, giving them their soother or like playing games with them. The mother kept them alive. And when a child was weaned, it gave them freedom. And a weaned child that sits beside a mother in content, it's an imagery of saying like, I've made it through. I've gone past the dangerous phases. But you know what? I love my mom so much. I just want to sit with her. I want to sit beside her. I want to be in her presence. Not for what she can give for me. Just to be in her presence. And as I was saying, the songs of ascent, these psalms, they would have been traveling along the road. So I imagine, I would imagine that this psalmist was looking around and he'd just seen a child sitting with his mother and it gave him inspiration. Similar to in poems, you were like, the tree is so beautiful, the light shining through. they just seen it and they're like, how amazing. This child is alive, this child is healthy. And this child still wants to just sit with his mom or her mom. Just for the presence and the love that the mom gives. Just try and imagine that in your, in your mind, like a child sitting, sitting with their mom, just content. And let all of us have that heart towards God. That if we've made it through, 
let's not forget. Let's just enjoy sitting in his, his closeness, his presence. We, I have a toddler. They're crazy. <laughs> Toddlers have this energy and they want to run, and they want to want to run, they want to they want to be around. They don't get off me, ma'am. Stop trying to hold me back. I want to run under a car. Stop, stop, stop trying to keep me safe. Like that's the way my Sam is. He just wants to be on everything. I want to be on the wall. I want to jump head first over the wall. Stop. But if we go for a walk, he does not want to get in the buggy. He does not want to get. I, I, he will not allow me to call me his baby. He's like, I'm a big boy, and he's so determined and he's so stubborn, right? And then we're going for a walk, and halfway through the walk, and he goes, Mom, carry me. He's a tank. Part of why I need to get fit is so I can lift him. But we're like that weaned toddler. We want to do, oh, you know, we're saved, we're grand, we're sorted, we're done, we're ready, yeah. And then we tire ourselves out because we're doing it all in our own strength, and we're just like, God, carry me. I messed it up again carry me and God doesn't go the way I do you're getting too heavy I can't carry anymore we're only two minutes from the house stop moaning God is a much better parent than me and he promises us that if we call out to him he'll just lift us up he'll carry us he won't go I can't believe you did this again I told you this. I, told, I knew I should have brought the buggy he goes it's all right I'm strong enough to carry you no matter how many times you run off and come back, I'll always have the strength to carry you, the arms to hold you, because I'm your God in heaven. Amen? Amen. The final verse is Israel. Put your hope in the Lord now, both now and forevermore. So this... Um, this uh, you know, they're speaking to the people of Israel and they're reminding them, let's always put our hope in him. Just a question for you. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Anybody? Come on, Patrice, what did you want to be? What's that, a member of the Spice Girls? Amazing. <laughs> she said a hairdryer. She said a hairdryer. She had a hairdresser. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to be a firewoman. Um, and then I realized, you have asthma, not a good mix. <laughs> I'll help you. Just give me a second. Just need my inhaler. Um, no, it didn't really go very well. And then, you know, it was a teacher. Also, wants to be a pop star. Desperately think the world is missing out because I didn't get my call up by Sam and Kel. Um, anybody else? Rob, what did you want to be? Fireman. Or oh, really? Or an astronaut. Or an astronaut. <laughs> Going well for you then, yeah? <laughs> You know, when we, when, we, when we look at, or even now, you know, we kind of have our secret dreams. You know, when you watch those um, Britain's Got Talent or X Factor and they have like, this is 65-year-old Bob. He's dreamed of being, playing the spoons in the Royal Albert Hall. Um, <laughs> so it's like, you know, we still have our secret dreams. And we still, I don't know about you, but I'm 38 and I still feel like I'm not really a grown-up. I don't really know when that's going to hit. But, you know, you're like... We still have the secret dreams. What do we want to be when we grow up? And in this Bible verse, it's saying, it's reminding like us. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. What does it mean to be spiritually grown up? 
to be spiritually grown up, to be, you know, those people of the faith that you think I want to be like them. It's someone who puts their hope in the Lord. That kind of, for me, sums up what exactly it is to be a mature follower of Christ. I put my hope in the Lord for my salvation. I put my hope in the Lord for my family. I put my hope in the Lord for those in my life who don't know him yet, who I desperately want to know him. I put my hope in the Lord to heal all my wounds, the ones I don't even know I have that I'm blissfully ignorant of, but that he'll reveal them and heal them for me. That's what it means. Like, you might think, oh, you know, spirit, you know, to be mature is to hold a mic and preach the word, or to be spiritually mature is to like be a pastor, or to be spiritually mature is to, you know, be an amazing worship leader or something. But the truth is, for all of us, if we can say, I put my hope in the Lord every day of my life until I close my eyes for the last time, that's what it is to be spiritually mature. There's a God who is everything that you need, that you don't even know you need. And if we could encourage ourselves to put our hope in him and not in our own strengths. I'm a doer. I've already planned, like, you know, it'll be in my head. So if this happens, I have this plan of action. You know, I try not to be taken by surprise. But that's me putting my hope in my own ability to sort things out. If I trip and fall, I can pick myself up. But that's me doing it on my own strength. I pray, Lord, that I put my hope in you, both now and forevermore. I put my hope in you, Lord, not in me. Forevermore. Amen.